never had the chance to preach outside before. This is pretty cool. If you were to write a job description for a new best friend, what would you include in it? What would be the experiences or the expertise that your new best friend might need to have? What are the job requirements to be your friend? We uh, often don't stop to think about the sort of traits or characteristics that make our closest and deepest relationships successful, that make them meaningful in our lives. What ingredients have to come together to make somebody draw close to us and us to draw close to them. As I was thinking about the message this week, I was um, looking to popular culture for what, for, for what music and movies and books and stories tell us about friendship. What, what is friendship for? What makes a good friend? What does it mean to be a good friend? And so I actually uh, did what people do when they're preparing for a sermon and looking for some popular input. I took a poll on my Facebook. Some of you uh, got to participate in that. And I just asked, what are the top three traits you want or need in a best friend? As you think about that, um, what it is that you want or need in a best friend, just sort of make that list in your head for a second. So I'm kind of curious if, if some of the things we found that I found on this post might pertain to what you would come up with. So the number one thing that came up over and over and over again was honest, truthful, authentic. Is that, is that on any of your lists? Honesty, truthful, authenticity? Man, y'all, come on now. Raise hands. Who, who wants honesty in a friendship, right? Yeah, great. Whoa. Okay, now I'm learning why Joe uses an iPad when he preaches outside, right? Honesty, we want our friends. Somebody said on my Facebook, I, I love this. Somebody said, I need the kind of honesty that's going to tell me if I have salad in my teeth. Well, let me just go around with salad in my teeth, right? I need the kind of truthfulness and authenticity that won't just tell me what I want to hear, but will tell me the truth when I need to hear it. Number two that came up over and over again. In fact, almost everyone who answered said either number one or number two. Number two is loyal, trustworthy, dependable. Anyone? Is that on your list? Yeah. Great. The third one was humor, laughter, fun. Was, is that on anyone's list? Or we only like have bad times with our friends. Good. Yeah. Um, four was empathetic, kind, caring, thoughtful. Anyone? Yep, a few more. So it's interesting. This poll is kind of reflective of, of us today even. The last one and the top five was acceptance, no judgment, forgiveness. Anyone on that one? Yeah. So we all sort of have these ideas about what we need in a friendship. It seems like we, we know what friendship is for. We know what it is meant to be. But I think the question I want to talk to you about today is how consistent is our cultural view of friendship with the vision that scripture has to offer us for friendship? Are we sort of bound to our own experiences and cultural norms in a way that fails to uh, maybe draw us into the kind of friendship that Christ would offer to us? What if friendship demands more and offers more than maybe what we ever imagine? So our teaching today is from Philippians 2, 19 through 20, 29. We're going to read it here together in a minute, but I have to say, um, I hope Joe listens to this, this podcast later because I'm going to call him out a little bit. So Joe, when he, he was asking me to come and preach, 
and he, he, he said, what do you want to preach on? I said, I don't really know. What are you going to preach on? You know, I'll just follow up whatever you're doing. So we're going through Philippians. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we're sort of going through Philippians verse by verse. And uh, I said, well, just tell me where, we'll, where we will be in Philippians, and I'll just preach that. So he said, okay, great. Your, your verse is Philippians 2, 19 through 29. I said, awesome. And uh, he said, take a look. Make sure it seems something you can preach on. And I looked at it, and I thought, huh, I don't really have anything to say about that. <laughs> and, uh, and then later I was talking with Joe, and uh, he looked at the passage, and he goes, oh, I gave you, like, the worst one. So, you know, have fun. <laughs> And I thought, you know, this, this scripture that we're about to read together, it really is just sort of this ordinary exchange of everyday life. It's sort of this mundaneness. But I think maybe that's what friendship might be about, the everyday life, right? So, so um, if you have your Bibles or an app on your phone, you want to read with me, that's fine. If not, just listen and we'll, we'll listen to let it just sort of the words wash over us together. Philippians 2, verse 19 through 29. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. And I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come and see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. He was very distressed that you heard that he was ill. And certainly he was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So it's easy to miss sort of the beauty in this passage, but I'm, I'm going to hope to kind of mine it out for us today. Paul is writing from prison, right? He's writing to the Philippians. And they're talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, who they, they're sending back and forth as messengers, because Paul himself can't travel. He is in chains in prison. And the ways in which Paul talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus are, are so beautiful. And I think it speaks to the power that friendship holds in our lives. I, I Just with a quick list, I went through this passage and listed the things that friendship in this passage produces. It produces cheer, hope, concern, longing, distress, sorrow, rejoicing, anxiousness, joy, honor, risk-taking, and service. Isn't that the stuff of life? <laughs> Isn't that the stuff of life? So today I want to talk with you about friendship. I want to talk to you about your friendships, your place in community. And I want to I sort of ask what this passage and others like it in Scripture might tell us about the purpose of friendship. So like any good sermon, we have um, an alliteration. We have three, uh, or sorry, we have four C's of friendship today. So I'm going to quiz you later. Um, and the first is that friendship is about care and concern for one another. 
What I find interesting about this passage is that Paul is sort of explicitly tying his descriptions of Timothy and Epaphroditus back to his description of Christ earlier in the passage. So if you listen to Alyssa's sermon last week and maybe even the week before that, we're talking about the, uh, the imitation of Christ, what it means to love one another well. And Paul is holding up Timothy and Epaphroditus over and over and over again as this kind of a friend, as this kind of a person, the kind that images who Christ is. And so he's, he's sort of, you know, set up, oh goodness gracious, <laughs> he's sort of set up this, um, this argument saying, this is what it means to be a friend. This is what it means to be a friend. We have an image of Christ who showed us what it means to be a friend. And then he says, and this is how we saw, saw Christ imaging for us what it means to be a friend. And then he's saying, and here are some real embodied examples of what it means to be a friend. These are people that you can trust in your community to emulate the kind of love that I'm calling, that Christ has called the church to and that I am calling the church to as well. And so Timothy and Epaphroditus are the kinds of humans and the kinds of Christians and the kinds of friends that we're called to be. And he says specifically the reason why he's saying this is that they genuinely care for your welfare. The others, I, I like it how he kind of throws a little shade here, right? He's like, Timothy's the best. All the others, you know, they don't know how to care for one another. But Timothy, he's the best, right? But he knows that Timothy is the kind of person from Philippians 2, 3 through 5 that says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Timothy looks to the interests of others. And so friendship is caring and concern for those that Christ cares about. Friendship is not only care and concern for one another, it's also collaboration. Paul is really, really clear here that his friendship with Timothy and Epaphroditus is built off of their common their common goal, their common work together. It's born out of their collaboration. Paul is stuck in prison. How can he go about his work without his friends? What can he say? How can he communicate without his friends? They're sort of, um, <laughs> some people might say Paul, uh, Paul's ride and die are Timothy and Epaphroditus, right? They're running his errands. They're communicating his messages. He is bound to them. And so friendship is sharing in mutual mission with one another. It's serving one another and wi being willing to risk it all for the common goal that you are seeking. You know how Timothy has proved himself, Paul says, like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. Similarly, Epaphroditus, so this journey that Epaphroditus went on to get to Paul was very dangerous, and he risked it all to come. Because the Philippians knew, here's Paul, he's in prison, he has all of these needs, we have no way to get them to, we need somebody to go. Who's going to go? Epaphroditus. You go. And the journey was so risky and so dangerous that Epaphroditus fell very, very ill. Serving and risking just as Jesus. Because Epaphroditus, like Jesus, became willing, became obedient even to the point of death for the sake of his friend, risking his life for the collaboration, the work of Christ to deliver a gift of care to his friend in need. One of the things that stands out to me in this passage is the way that 
Paul talks about these two friends in familial terms. He doesn't just call them friends. He calls them a brother. He calls them a son, right? And I think of my closest friends. I don't really call them friends anymore. They're Auntie Leah <laughs> to my kids, you know? They're um, Auntie Jen. It's family. And as Timothy, as he ascribes this language of sonship, of brotherhood, I think one of the things I want to ask is, what does it take to become the kind of friend who is called by a family name? And I think it does take that level of risking for one another, that level of being there, having a common mission. Third, so friendship is caring concern, friendship is collaboration, and friendship is Christ. Christ is friend. There's another passage in scripture where Christ talks about friendship. John 15, 9 through 17. I'd like to read it to you today. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. What are commands for? They're for love. I have told you this so that your joy, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. See, Jesus' commands, they're not just a bunch of rules to follow. They're meant for love. They're meant for love. You are my friends, he says, if you do what I command. If you love, you are my friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. There's this mutuality in relationship that Jesus is, is um, using in this language. He's saying, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I laid my life down for you. This isn't the sort of relationship that people in that time had with their gods. This is not the kind of relationship that people understood to have with a god. It is mutual, it is loving, it is self-sacrificing. Christ is our example of friendship. He's the kind of friend who shows care and concern, who comes and gives himself to collaborate with us, with humans in our world. He is not simply our Lord. He is our friend. That's pretty subversive news. The good news is not simply that we have to live lives of obedience. The good news is that we can live in mutual friendship with Christ, that we can join him in what concerns him. See, y'all, doing, doing the good news, spreading the good news isn't about saying, God, what is it you want me to do in this world? It's saying, God, what are you doing and how can I collaborate with what you're already doing? The good news is that God has come the good news is not that God has come to the world just to condemn us for our sins. The good news is that Christ offers us friendship. Jesus offers his love to us, he says, so that his joy will be in us, and as a result, our joy may be complete. And Paul uses this language as well. Make my joy complete by being like Christ. A God who is willing not just to call us servants, but friends. That's the kind of God I think is worth serving. This kind of friendship is 
like the kind that Paul describes, the kind of friendship that longs for one another deeply when we can't be together, that aches for one another when we're apart, that when somebody is sick and we can't be with them, we're filled with sorrow. Doesn't that preach to you today in our context right now? We're supposed to ache to be with those we love who are sick. The last thing I want to um, say is that friendship is communal. I think in our Western context, we sort of think of friendship as a you and me thing. You know, I have my friends, they have me. But I believe that friendship is not just meant to benefit us individually. It's meant to grow our community. It's meant to build us in community with one another. And frankly, I think this is where singles, where people of color, where LGBTQ plus folks, um, the immigrant communities, women, I think anyone who has been shut out from community has much to teach to the life of the church and what it means to be community, what it means to be friends. If anyone knows how to practice community, it's those who have routinely been shut out of it. Theologian and political scientist David Koyosis says, try saying that name, Koyosis, says that our self-attention has led to the fragmentation of North American societies and the increasing breakdown of marriages, families, and other basic communities like friendship. The otherwise laudable emphasis on human rights has degenerated into our Western constitutional democracies into rights talk, which is incapable of placing individual rights into the larger social context and understanding their relationship to mutual responsibilities. We do not only have rights, we have responsibilities to one another. The question I want to ask you today is if we practice real friendship, real friendship, not only in personal ways, but in system uh, systemic ways, in institutional ways, in community, the kind of friendship that offers care and concern, the kind of friendship that collaborates with one another on the things that are important to us, the kind of friendship characterized by Christ's example, what injustice would remain in our world? What injustice would remain if we learned how to practice self-giving love in friendship with one another? Our communal breakdowns are because we don't know how to practice friendship with people we like, let alone those we don't like. I don't. <laughs> My husband said to me the other day that he, he saw one of our neighbors with a political sign that he found pretty abhorrent. And then he, he started to get all fired up and he walked back towards our house and he saw our sign. <laughs> You're our neighbor no matter who you are. <laughs> And he was like, I guess they're my neighbor no matter who they are, right? It's, and I was challenged by that too, right? It is, it is tricky. It is hard to be a friend, even to the people who love us well, let alone those we don't like and we don't agree with. And I think we're seeing that more and more in this, this time in our lives, in this time in our society, perhaps than ever before. See, I think when we think about laying our lives down for one another. We, we hear these words of Jesus that greater love has no one than, than the ones who lay down their lives for one another. I don't know about you, but I think about like, 
you know, if there's like an oncoming bus coming at my friend, I'm going to like push them out of the way, <laughs> right? That's how I, you know, I lay down my life for my friend. Or like, if there's a bullet, you know, you were willing to step in front of the bullet to save your friend's life. You, you know, if they, they're stuck on the train tracks, you push them out of the way. Um, but that's not really, I don't really think that's the fullness of what Jesus meant when he said laying down your life for your friend. Because that's dying for your friend which is laudable, but it is not living for your friend. What would it mean if we lived for our friends? What if laying down our lives was not just heroic acts of sacrificing ourselves for those that we love? What if it meant being willing to be uncomfortable? What if it meant showing up in crisis when it's inconvenient? What if it meant taking up our cross and laying down our rights for the sake of our friends who are suffering? What if it meant seeing the ways that we have power in our ongoing daily circumstances and choosing to lay it down for our friends? This is what makes joy complete. Uh, a lot of you know I am in the midst of seminary right now, so this is good practice for me. Thank you for being my guinea pigs. Um, and in my coursework, we, we do a lot of good reading. And one of the ones that I want to really recommend to you right now, write it down, is... Um, Sung Chan Ra, Sung Chan Ra. He's a second generation Korean American. He's a theologian and ethicist, an expert in evangelicalism, in the multi-ethnic church, and in racial reconciliation. And so if you're looking for just a deep well of wisdom about what it looks like to um, reflect on our faith, to break our churches and our faith out of sort of this captivity to white Western viewpoints, and to learn from a different perspective. Um, I challenge you to go get his books. They've, they've really deeply enriched my life. I've read probably at least 50% of everything he's, he's written at this point. So, so I, I can make recommendations to you personally afterwards if you like. But Sung Chan Ra says that worship in our Western captivity allows us to merely be a collection of individuals who happen to be in the same room. I'm going to say that again. Worship in our Western captivity allows us to show up at church and be a collection of individuals who are just happening to be in the same room. Simply put, we are not building the kinds of connections, the kind of community in the church that is consistent with the Bible's witness on what it means to be friends. Our excessive individualism has degraded our lived, embodied witness to one another, to the kinds of friendship and community that God offers to us and that we are called to offer to others. What if friendship meant becoming, becoming uncomfortable for the sake of my friend to be more comfortable? What if it meant not just dying for our friends, but arranging our lives to make space for them? You know, Jesus, when he calls us to friendship, the kind of mutuality in relationships that he calls us to is the kind where we don't have to worry about our own rights. Because, you know why? Because somebody else is worrying about them. Somebody else is looking after them for us. If, you, if you're in a marriage or even in a really good friendship and you're having to constantly assert your rights with your friend or with your marriage partner, it ain't a very good relationship, right? 
But if I know that my husband or my best friend or my family or my church has a preferential, sacrificial love for me, that will sacrifice, that will risk it all to make sure that I don't have to be vigilant every moment of my existence, that I can rest and I can be at peace knowing that I have friendship, that as I watch out for you, you will do the same for me. And this is the vision that Jesus paints for us where we can wolf with lamb, lay down in harmony in the kind of flourishing that God has made us for. The redemptive power of the gospel message is not that it's just for me. It is that our joy will not be made complete without one another, without together all of us worshiping in communion with one another and God and all of creation. Every culture, tribe, race, gender, sexuality, gender identity, vaxxed and unvaxxed. <laughs> this is what I'm getting at, y'all. <laughs> Republican and Democrat, we can live and flourish with one another in abundant, thriving community when we look out for one another. In the kingdom of God, together, in connection, belonging, and friendship, we lay down our lives for one another. We are not meant to be a collection of individuals. We are meant to be a body of Christ. We are meant to be the Epaphroditus. We are meant to be the Timothy, willing to get uncomfortable for one another, willing to do what it takes to protect one another, collectively working for the better of one another, caring, having loving concern, working with one another, following Christ's example, and living in community. So I want to ask you today, who are your friends? I mean, look around. I want to say this room. Look around this space. <laughs> We're not in a room. Look around. Who are your friends here? Especially if you've been coming here a while, look around. Who do you call? Who do you call when you have a blown tire and you're stuck? Who do you call when you have a bad phone call from a doctor? Who do you call when you have to leave town on an emergency and no one to watch the kids? <laughs> Who calls you? Are you getting those phone calls? If you don't have those kinds of friendships here in this community, if you don't have the kind of friendships that show mutual care and concern, that will join you in what you're working on, and that will live in community with you, time has now changed that. This is your opportunity. Invite someone to dinner or lunch. Visit one of our small groups. We've got new small groups online that we've just recently put up. Take a look. See if one fits for you. Reach out. Ask for prayer support. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe you really need community right now in your life. Reach out. This is our chance to practice the kind of friendship that Christ has offered to us and that Timothy was offered by Epaphroditus, or Timothy and Epaphroditus offered to Paul. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the friendships that I have had in this community that have been the kinds of friendships I can call when I'm headed out of town on an emergency and need someone to watch my kids, that have been the kinds of friendships that have shown up, that have shown care and concern. 
And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today who doesn't have that kind of friend, who's looking for that kind of friend, and is looking to be that kind of friend, that you would connect them to those who would love and serve them and to those who could be loved and be served by them. Lord, let us be that example of your kind of friendship, Lord, that we would be willing to risk it all for one another, to lay down our power and our privileges to serve one another, that we would be far more concerned about our responsibilities to one another, God, than we are about whether or not we're getting our fair shake. And God, let us be people of grace and mercy in these difficult times that are dividing friendships and families. Let us be filled with your peace. Let us be ministers of your reconciliation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.